Hey, Mariah. Welcome to another episode of the History-ish Podcast. What are we talking about today? Today, we're talking about speakeasies. Uh, in order to adequately talk about speakeasies, we have to first give a brief history of prohibition. Uh, the 18th Amendment to the U.S. Constitution banned the manufacture, transportation, and sale of intoxicating liquors. Prohibition, which was what this period was called, officially went into effect January 17, 1920, and as you can imagine, prohibition was very difficult to enforce. People started to illegally produce and sell liquor almost immediately. Um, they were called bootleggers, and these people would make what they called bathtub gin or moonshine, and then they would smuggle the liquor to stores and nightclubs. Now, let me tell you, if people want to drink, they're going to find ways to do so. And they definitely did during Prohibition. They created secret bars and taverns that they called speakeasies. I tried to find out where and why that term originated, and it's generally unknown, but it is assumed that it comes from the fact that if you were inside of a speakeasy, you kind of had to whisper and keep your tone low, and they called it speaking easy. Um, and also, they assume that it probably also comes from the fact that when you find a speakeasy, when you get to the door, you either have to say a password or you say the name of the person who referred you or told you about that speakeasy, um, and you did it in a whisper. Uh, speakeasies were also called blind pigs or gin joints, uh, and they seemed to spring up overnight because once prohibition passed, law enforcement seemed they had to go and close all the bars down and make sure all the bars were closed. So a lot of them were makeshift saloons in basements of tenements uh, uh, or in tenements of rundown areas. Now, some were restaurants, though, and they offered a dance floor and dining rooms. Um, there was this one famous one called the 21 Club in New York City. And it had two bars, a dance floor, dining rooms on two levels, and an underground passageway that led to a wine cellar. And then it was also the very famous Cotton Club, which I know a lot of you have heard of. And that one was in New York as well. Um, I read that it's also uh, where finger foods kind of were basically born. Um, these establishments, they were secret. So some of them couldn't really cook large, elaborate meals. So they started offering bite-sized fare to help their patrons soak up the Ill illegally consumed alcohol. Uh, they served things like lobster canapes, radish roses, oyster toast, and deviled eggs. Um, since women frequented speakeasies, some of the uh, the establishments offered table service for them because some of them felt very uncomfortable sitting at a bar. Um, and the Italian-American-owned speakeasies actually spread interest in Italian food by serving it with wine. Organized crime exploded during this time as they got into the bootlegging game. They would supply speakeasies with liquor and they made good money off of it. I read that Al Capone made about 60 million a year supplying beer and liquor to speakeasies that he controlled. Now, speakeasies sometimes had live entertainment. Jazz, which was already very popular and in demand at that time, uh, was also very in demand at, at, at the very fancy speakeasies. And it inspired a lot of dances and made jazz bands even more uh, uh, in demand than ever. Now, fun fact, I read that the term dating actually came into existence during this time as well, because young singles started to meet each other without parental supervision at these speakeasies. It also gave rise and popularity to cocktails, um, mainly because these alcohols that were uh, 
created in bathtubs uh, sometimes didn't have very good uh, flavors. They had very bad taste. So the speakeasy started mixing them with Coca-Cola, with sugar, with mint, with fruit juices and stuff like that to kind of hide that taste. Uh, Speakeasies were not well-kept secrets, obviously. So this meant that owners had to pay off police officers to basically leave them alone or to alert them when a raid was about to happen on one of their establishments. Organized crime grew deadlier than ever during this period. Um, And it was mostly concentrated in New York, mainly because New York had a very large amount of speakeasies. It had about 32,000 at the height of prohibition. Um, There were also speakeasies in Harlem, which um, I got to tell you, this is my favorite term. Um, They were now the speakeasies in Harlem were sometimes in apartments and they called them hooch joints. I got to tell you, that's my favorite. (laughs) I like it. Uh, Owners of speakeasies had the architects build really cool things like camouflage doors, secret wine cellars and false walls and bars that would drop liquor down a chute to crash and drain into a cellar at the push of a button. Um, They went to these great lengths because they wanted to avoid prison time. Now, once prohibition was repealed, uh, speakeasies basically kind of died down um, because you didn't obviously have to hide the fact that you had alcohol anymore. So there was really no need for these secret establishments. But you're about to tell me something different, right? (laughs) Well, yes. The good news is speakeasies are not completely gone. Bad news is they're legal, so it's a little less fun now. (laughs) But, I mean, all jokes aside, a modern speakeasy does provide a little excitement. Uh, For many, it's the thrill of the hunt that draws them in, uh, finding out about a speakeasy by word of mouth, tracking down their location and gaining entry, which can often look like um, gaining a password or a token. That really makes enjoying the drink um, that more fun. And, you know, if you know, you know. But it really goes beyond that um, as some locations really transport you back to the time with their decor, entertainment, and specialty drinks. If you're wondering what a modern speakeasy looks like, I found a few in my home state of California that might pique your interest or make it to the list um, for your next road trip stop. But remember, you didn't hear from me. Um, The very first one on my list is the Noble Experiment in San Diego. And then that one's hidden in a, a gastropub called The Neighborhood. And the neighborhood, it's a gastropub with the focus on beers, and it isn't very hard to find. But the Noble Experiment is a cocktails-only speakeasy within the same establishment, and it's a whole different story. If you can get a reservation, which is a big if, head down to the neighborhood, make your way to the back of the pub by the bathrooms, and give the wall of kegs a push. The hidden wall will reveal a swanky modern-day speakeasy decked out with rich wood-paneled walls, glass chandeliers, looks tufted banquet seating and naturally a wall of gleaming skulls because yeah that's totally okay there <laughs> if the drink venue is overwhelming you can ask the dealer's choice and the, the talented bartenders will craft a custom cocktail drink for to your liking there's also the lock and key in la and even if you put this address in your gps it might take you a few passes by this Korean ta- uh, Koreatown establishment to spot the very obtuse signage of a solo neon key. The second challenge awaits you upon entry. You'll stand in, f- in front of a wall facing a wall of doorknobs. Figure out which one opens the hidden door and you'll finally be on your way into this 1920s themed bar of brass, wooden walls, emerald green booths, and craft cocktails with names like Secret Cotillion, Shady Schemes, and Grape Gatsby. <laughs> uh, that's my favorite. <laughs> um, and then there's also the Bourbon and Branch in San, Diego, in San Francisco. 
Bourbon and Branch is like the Russian nesting doll of hidden bars. Once the worthy obtains the password to gain entry to the main bar, there are four other secret standalone bars that await you through a series of bookcases. I know, Mariah, you would like that. And oh, yeah. um, there's a <laughs> and there's a bunch of walls too that give way to hidden doors, including a 28 seat Wilson and Wilson Detective Agency. Gone is the noise and the hubris of the larger speakeasy. Inside, you'll find refined decor, efficient and talented bartenders, and a no-nonsense approach. After you make your way through the three drink courses, you'll be thanked and promptly kicked out. Enjoy it while it lasts, but consider yourself warned. The drinks packed the same punch as Prohibition back in the day. <laughs> what do you think, Brad? Would you visit any of these? Absolutely. Like I was looking some up where I live and I, I definitely want to go. <laughs> so cool. What about you? Oh, yes. I mean, I don't want to just visit. I want to make one. I want my own speakeasy one day. <laughs> right. <laughs> well, let us know what you think. Uh, follow us on Instagram. <laughs> Bye. Bye.